Hi, I'm Simeon, and I'm going to be reading from John 13, 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer, clo outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Great. Thanks, Sim. Well, we're going to um, pray as we turn to God's word. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we ask for your help now. Um, we've sung of your great gift to us. We've sung of Jesus um, and Lord, we pray now that you would give us hearts ready to listen. Father, please, by your Spirit, would you speak to each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the next four Sundays, we're going to do a, a short little series, which we called Love One Another. Um, and it probably won't come as a great surprise to you that it's important that we love one another. In fact, I don't think it would come as much of a surprise to the community around us that we would talk about loving one another. It seems to be a fairly well-appreciated reality that that's a good thing to do. And interestingly, even in the pandemic, I think there's been an, in an increasing sense of community, and there's been billboards up that have said things like, community is kindness. Perhaps you've seen some of those around. And that sense of people looking out for one another and, and longing for community But I want to be clear as we start this series that when the Bible says love one another, it's talking about something different. It's talking about something more than what our world means when it says love one another. And that is because in the Bible, there is a very strong connection between God's love for us and our love for for one another. The vertical and the horizontal go together. You can't split them up. They're linked with one another. 
All too often we allow the, the world's ideas of love to define our understanding of love, but we must instead let God's love for us define how we are then to love one another. So, for example, we've just heard um, John 13 read. Just a few verses later, Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I, listen to the link, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You hear the link? As I have loved you, you must love one another. Two chapters later in John 15, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And it's not just John who thinks this is important. When you get to the book of Ephesians, which is written by um, the Apostle Paul, Paul says, follow God's... Listen to that. Follow God's example. We're being told that God is to be our example. Follow God's example as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This link is so essential for us to see. As God loves us, so we're to love one another. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Do you hear it over and over again? The horizontal and the vertical are linked to one another. Which means if we are going to know how to love one another, then we're going to need to know how God loves us. Because those two things go together. And we'll discover that this love that God has for us is the example for our love for one another. And it's not just our example, it's also the power that enables us to love one another. And so God's example and his power come together in the way he loves us to enable us to love one another in a way that we could not love if we were not loved first by God like this. Because one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the works of God's Holy Spirit in us is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is God who creates this love for one another. And so that's what we need to understand this afternoon. And I want us to see that link. Because when Jesus said to his disciples, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He is clearly talking about a sort of love that is different and distinct from anything else. Because people are supposed to look at this love and say, well, that's not like any other love I've ever seen. It's supposed to be distinctive and mark us out. So we need to think about how God has loved us so that we might love one another. If only we'd spent the last six weeks looking at a book of the Bible that was about the way that God loved us. Imagine if we'd spent the last six weeks doing that. How how helpful that would now be to think about how we love one another. I mean, that's what we've been doing, right? 
That's what, in, in, in case you hadn't noticed the sarcasm, I'm nervous that people are going, oh yeah, that would have been a shame. I say, yeah, that is a shame. Yeah, we probably should have done that, John T. Why didn't you do that? We did, right? We spent the last six weeks exploring the book of Hosea. What is Hosea all about? It is the way that God loves his people and he loves his people with a covenant love. Seriously, if you haven't got that from the last six weeks, then I give up. All right? That's... That's what we've seen. And it's that love that is to feed the way that we love one another. So let me point out four aspects of God's covenant love for us that we've seen in Hosea. And I hope that these will be familiar. I hope that these will go, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing those themes. And these four words that I'm about to tell you are going to form the basis of all of the next four weeks. They're going to form the basis of Sundays and focus studies as we explore what it means to love one another with a covenant love. The same covenant love that God has loved us with. That's what we're about. The four words are these. Covenant love is proactive, it's compassionate, it's righteous, and it's constant. That's what we're going to see. And we're going to think, that's how God loves us, and that's how we're to love one another. So that's, uh, let me quickly run through. Let me, let's dip back into Hosea. It would be nice to go back to Hosea and go and see our old friend. And think through how those four words, we see those aspects of God's love. So think about being proactive. God's covenant love for us is a proactive love. It takes the initiative. It's not sitting around waiting for someone else to make the first move. You know that moment when you're sitting, um, I don't know, perhaps, you're, perhaps you live with some other people, some housemates or whatever, and the doorbell goes. It's, it's, like a, it's like a moment, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit of a game, really, of who moves first. And you all sort of sit there going, please, someone else, surely someone else is going to, I can't be bothered to get up. Proactive love is the love that leaps to its feet. It moves first. Proactive love gets up off its backside to do something. That's how God loves his people. Covenant love is proactive love that goes first. It doesn't say, I will if you will. Covenant love just says, I will. That's what we saw in Hosea. So if you've got a Bible, then um, flick back to Hosea um, in chapter 2, and you'll see this all over the place in chapter 2. But just have a look from chapter 2, verse 19. Here is covenant love, all right? Proactive love. God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, and the new wine, and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You hear it? Hear how proactive it is. 
I will, I will, I will. God says, I will act. He makes the first move, even though his people are unfaithful. So in chapter 3, verse 1, God now speaks to his prophet Hosea. Remember, Hosea has been told to marry this woman, Gomer, who has been unfaithful to him. But God says in chapter 3, verse 1, listen how proactive it is. The Lord said to me, Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man as an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So here is Hosea being told, no, you, you make the first move. But you can imagine saying, but, but God, she's been unfaithful to me. But God says, Hosea, no, covenant love is proactive. It goes first. It makes the first move. And so Hosea says, you go show love to your wife. It is active. And God says, that's how I love my people. Even while they are still loving other gods, even while they're still loving sacred raisin cakes. And it's difficult for that not to sound a little funny to our ears, and I agree entirely with anyone who thinks that raisins are a bad thing. But the point is they are indulging in idolatrous worship. And God says, but I'm going. God gets up and is proactive. God loves you proactively. He made the first move. You only love him because he first loved you. That's what covenant love is like. That's what God's love is like. Even when we were far away, even when we were lost, even when we were running the other way, God loved us. And made the first move. He said, I will. It's proactive love. It's compassionate love. It is not harsh or cruel. It's not seeking revenge or wanting to get even. It's not making them pay for what they've done. It's compassionate. It's a word that talks of God's very heart. It's not a love that makes demands. It's a love that is moved to serve people who are in need. And we saw this most beautifully in Hosea chapter 11. When God has spoken of his people and he says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I'll not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate you, friend. Do you hear it? God's heart is a heart of compassion. Covenant love is always compassionate. Covenant love is bothered about people. It is moved by people. It doesn't bear grudges and it doesn't get bitter. It's not cynical or suspicious. It's compassionate. That's how God loves you. He's loved you with a compassion. Thirdly, covenant love is righteous. It's crystal clear from Hosea that covenant love is bothered about wrong and injustice. 
You know, sometimes we think that love is supposed to be nice and tolerant. Can't we just be tolerant of, you know, can't we just love each other? By which people mean, can't we just ignore the kind of things that people are doing wrong? And God does not ignore what his people are doing wrong. So we saw in chapter 4 of Hosea, if you remember, in chapter 4 he says, I have a charge to bring against you, my people. God speaks very clearly of the wrong that his people have done. He speaks very clearly of the anger that they have brought within him. And that is not something different to his covenant love. That is his covenant love. That's not like, well, you know, God goes, yeah, God was a bit angry, but it's okay because then his covenant love came along and sorted it all out. No, it's his covenant love, his passionate love for his people that led him to a seriousness about that which was wrong and which was destroying them. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God's love for us is a righteous love. It is a love that wants our pure and absolute worship and adoration. So covenant love is righteous. And fourthly, covenant love is constant. God is not fickle. If you remember in chapter 6, of Hosea, God spoke to his people and said, your love is like the early morning mist. It's here, but then it's gone. God's love isn't like that. It's, it's not fickle. It's solid and reliable and unchanging. I guess most of us have had the experience of broadband um, failing us. Fickle broadband is the worst, isn't it? Unreliable broadband Broadband that promises you with its glossy leaflet that you're going to get like one gigabyte of data speed. Promises you with its leaflet. And then as soon as you get on a Zoom call, you get your nonsense. And it's just so frustrating because you can't rely on it. And once you can't rely on it, you, you think, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And now I don't know where I'm at because I've got this really important call and this is my whole future career is resting on this call and now I'm frozen. God isn't like that. God's covenant love for his people is so faithful. You always know where you stand with God. You will never turn to God and find that he's changed his mind or he's had a mood swing or he's in a grump. He's absolutely constant. God doesn't change in any way. Therefore, his love for you does not change in any way. It doesn't go up and down like a roller coaster. He doesn't sit with a daisy going, he loves me, he loves me not. We don't have to do that because God is constant in his love. Even when he's disciplining his people, he is still constant. He is doing what he always said he would do. And he perseveres with them. I mean, Israel, as we've read through the book of Hosea, we've seen it over and over again. They run from him. They turn to him. They turn from him to other gods. And over and over again, God is patient with them. And he perseveres with them. And he keeps going with them. And he keeps going. Until you get to the end of Hosea. And in chapter 14, you get that wonderful promise from God. I will heal their waywardness. 
and love them freely. For my anger is turned away. I will be like the Jew to Israel. God says, you know, ultimately, I will win. My love will triumph with Israel. I will redeem her and plant her and refresh her. And she will be the beautiful people of God. That's what God's constant covenant love. It doesn't give up. God's not going to give up on you. And you say, but I failed so many times. He won't give up. That's how God's loved us. And interestingly, in the um, story that um, Simeon read to us from John 13, here is Jesus, the covenant God of Hosea, come to earth as a man. And you see Jesus loving his disciples with covenant love. Even in that moment, we haven't got ages to do this, so I want to get to the practical stuff, but we do just need to see this. See, because the more we can understand how God loves us, the more we will be able to love others. So can you see that Jesus' love for his disciples, we're told in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here is Jesus demonstrating his love for his disciples. Do you see it's proactive love? They're sitting at the meal. They're all sitting around the meal. They've all got stinking feet. They've all got dirty feet. And who is it that gets up? Verse 4, he got up from the meal. Jesus is the one who proactively gets up to serve. Not because he feels somehow inferior. Not because he feels awkward. Not because he feels, oh, you know, this is embarrassing. Probably my place to serve. No, verse 3 says that God has put all things under his power. Jesus is the supremely powerful, eternal God who proactively gets up to serve his disciples. This is how Jesus loves us. Proactively getting up to serve even to go to a cross and die for us. And it's compassionate as he sees the need of his disciples, as he sees the feet that need to be washed, which are a picture of their filthy hearts that need to be made clean. Jesus is moved with compassion. He doesn't sit there and go, these feet stink, you're disgusting, get out which in fairness he would have had every right to do. As the pure and holy God, he could have said, how dare you bring your filth into my presence? Get out. But that's not covenant love. That's worldly love that says, no, you make yourself beautiful and then I'll love you. And so we spend so much of our lives trying to make ourselves beautiful so that people will love us. But Jesus, his love doesn't work like that. He doesn't, you don't have to make yourself lovely because his love is a compassionate love. A covenant love that loves you even in your filth. And so he serves you. He comes to make you clean. And even as he washes his disciples' feet, it is a righteous love. 
You see, neither does Jesus ignore the problem. Neither does Jesus at the meal sit there and go, well, your feet aren't that bad, are they? We can put up with some dirty feet, can't we, guys? No, your feet stink. They need to be made clean. Your heart is filthy. It needs to be made clean. It's a serious problem. There is something serious that needs to be done. And so Jesus deals with the issue. And when Peter tries to say, no, no, you can't wash my feet, Jesus says, well, you have no part with me then. Jesus is serious about transforming us. He's serious about that which makes us unclean. So serious that he will go to a cross and he will die. And as he dies, he will pay for my filth so that my filth is washed clean. How can I be washed only because he becomes filthy at the cross and dies? He pays it fully. Covenant love does not ignore sin. It deals with sin and makes things right. And covenant love is constant. I love this. I love the fact that Jesus did it completely. He didn't just bring them a bowl of water and say, hey, wash your feet. He didn't even wash their feet and then say, now you dry them yourself. Look at what he says. Verse 5, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus does all of it. He perseveres right to the end until their feet are not only clean, but they're dry. And it's only when Jesus, in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Covenant love doesn't do a half of a job. Covenant love doesn't stop short. It's constant right to the end. It completes the work. And you will know, if you've read anything in John's Gospel, that when Jesus dies on the cross, the final words that he cries out are, it is finished. You want to know what constant covenant love looks like? It looks to a love that will go all the way right to the cross, to the very place of hell itself, and die for you, and then cry, it's finished. It's done. There's nothing more to be done. That's covenant love. It's constant, persevering right to the end. Like seriously, if you don't know this love, if you've never experienced this love, then forget about loving one another for a second. You need to know this. Experience this love. He loves you. And if you pick up a daisy in a field and you pull off its petals, you just go, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. That's how he's loved you. And that means we now love one another. So what will that look like? How does that overflow into our relationships? I'm just going to tee up some things now. You're going to discuss this in focus, and then we're going to look at it in more detail next week and in the coming weeks. But it means our love for one another will be a proactive love. It means it will be the sort of love that gets up and does something. Not just a love that says, oh yeah, I really love you, but a love that shows it. A love that's the, the first to stand up and serve. Proactive love acts. Okay, here's a very helpful principle which you, we really need to get hold of if we can understand this stuff. Proactive love understands, listen carefully to this, often in life, action precedes 
motivation. Action precedes motivation. That is, if you wait until you're motivated to do something, until you do it, then there'll be a whole bunch of stuff that you just never do. And sometimes proactive love means I choose to do something even when I'm not motivated to do it because action precedes motivation. And as I step out and make that choice to love, then often the motivation and the feelings of love come later. But it happens that way round. You have to decide to act before you feel like acting. It requires a change in the narrative in our head. You see, in our head, we say stuff like, I can't, um, I don't want to, why should I love them, why should I act towards them? That language needs to change to become, I can, I will, I want to. As we begin to move towards people and act. I think one of the biggest barriers to this The biggest barrier to covenant love is being comfortable. We want to be comfortable. We want to be with the people who are like us. We want to be with the people who it's easy. Can I say, if you find that all your friendships are with people who are just like you, then I think probably you're not demonstrating covenant love. You may be a great friend. You may be lovely, you may be great fun to hang around with, but covenant love gets up and moves towards people who are different. The people who aren't necessarily easy. The people that we don't feel comfortable with. You can spot a church that's abandoned covenant love because it will become cliquey. Because you don't need covenant love to be in a clique. Look, if I had, if I had um, a bottle here which was half oil and half water, I, I, I was going to make this for you, but I, I thought you could cope. I know it would have been fun, but I thought you'd cope. If I had a bottle which was half oil and half water, you know what would happen, right? You get the oil and the water, they separate. Because that's what's comfortable. Oil likes being with oil. It's chilled with oil. The only way to get oil and water to mix is to shake it, to put effort in, to shake it up so that the oil and the water mix. And there will always be this tendency to push towards separating again. But covenant love is the shaking of the bottle that says, no, we will not settle for relationships where we're separate from one another. We will keep shaking. I don't like being shaken. It doesn't feel very comfortable. That's covenant love. Do you think it was comfortable for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth? Do you think it was comfortable for Jesus to get down on his knees and wash his disciples' feet, to have nails driven through his hands and his feet? Of course it wasn't comfortable, but it was love. Love that shakes up our world. And as Jesus reaches out one nail-pierced hand to me and one nail-pierced hand to you, He shakes us up and he brings us together and he says, now as I have loved you, you love one another. Do you feel the power of this sort of love? And I fear sometimes, and 
I see it in myself. There are the people who I love to spend time with and hang out with, and they're just fun. We've got to be careful. Imagine we were the sort of church where we were constantly being shaken up to love each other like this. There are people in Globe Church who feel like they don't belong here. That cannot be. There are people in Globe Church who feel like they're on the outside. We've got to move towards. If you've got good friendships, then be looking around. Who could you draw in? Who could you love? Who could you move towards? And it's so easy to blame the other person. Yeah, they're just not very friendly. See, we'll make excuses because we love to be comfortable. Yeah, we tried, we invited them and they didn't want to come. But of course they didn't want to come. Because they don't know you yet. You've got to keep going and keep going and keep going until people are drawn in. Now, we're never going to get this perfectly right and we're going to get it wrong and we're going to fail. But this is the only way that we can begin to experience this covenant love among us. And I, I, I want to ask that we would be praying that God would do this for us and in us. And I guess this is particularly true as we think about these questions of race and class. We don't want to be a monocultural church, do we? We can't be satisfied to just kind of get all the, the oil or water separated in one place and say, well, we're having a happy time. Please, God, shake us up. Please, God, make us uncomfortable. Please, God, make me someone who gets up from the meal to go serve people. Who have you been meaning to go for a walk with? Who have you been meaning to text? Who have you been meaning to follow up? Can I encourage you to go for it? And it's not easy. And sometimes there's a language, but sometimes there's a language barrier, but you go, I'm going to go for it anyway. We can work this out. We can do this. Let's try. It's proactive, it's compassionate. Some of us, I think, can have a tendency to being harsh, our natural instinct is to be harsh. We find ourselves being impatient with people. We find that people are holding us back. Do you know, I think church leaders can fall into this trap. So let me be honest with you for a moment. I hope I'm all so that not, not everything else I've said isn't honest with you. I'm trying to be honest, but there is a real tendency and a pressure that I think church leaders feel to try and build a successful church. But if you try and build a successful church, you will end up using people rather than loving people. So you value people because of what they can do for you rather than compassion for the person. And that will make you harsh. We're going to think more about leadership in, in a couple few weeks' time. But church is not a business that's full of employees. It's not my job to make sure that you're all functioning at your optimal performance. 
like some CEO of a business. Church is a family full of people who need to be loved and cared for. So compassion looks beyond the benefits that this person has for me and is moved by the other person. So let's look to one another. And if there's people who've done you wrong, if there's people where your relationships are not right, move towards them in compassion. It may be that you have grudges and harshness that you feel towards people. It may be that you feel a bitterness. It may be that you're, you have suspicion. If, if comfort is a barrier to showing proactive love, then I think that suspicion and bitterness is a barrier to showing compassionate love. I wonder, is there bitterness within you towards someone in our church family or another Christian that needs to be released, that needs to be sorted, that you would show compassion so I don't know if I can do that. Well, Jesus takes hold of you with one nail-pierced hand and he takes hold of them with one nail-pierced hand and he says, I love you. Now love one another. How do you show compassionate covenant love? See, in our world, our world would say, well, why don't you just tolerate one another? Why don't you just stay away from each other? No, that's not covenant love. This is covenant love. And covenant love is righteous. So in our relationships with one another, it, we're not just supposed to be nice. We're not just supposed to be polite to one another. And go, oh, you're great. No, covenant love is right, robust and serious. It's important that we call out each other's blind spots, that we push each other, that we help each other to be more like Jesus. Now, of course we can do that wrongly. Of course we can be judgmental and harsh and unfair. And Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. But he does say, take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, we are to care about sin. It really does matter. Covenant love doesn't gloss over stuff and pretend it's not, that everything's okay. So a couple of weeks ago, someone spoke to me about something that I had done that had hurt them. And they spoke to me about it in a way which was kind and gentle, but was truthful. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world for him not to say anything to me. It would have avoided an awkward conversation. But I'm so glad he said it. Because it meant I was able to say sorry. And it meant I was able to see where I was wrong and repent and confess to God and confess to my brother and for our relationship to be restored and deepened. That's covenant love. Righteous love. Honest. Truthful. A love that has integrity to it. That's beautiful, right? And covenant love is constant. It's not fickle like the morning mist. I know that often we don't intend to be careless and forgetful. But we've all done it, haven't we? I'll pray for you, we say. And in that moment, we really mean it. It's not like we're lying. (laughs) I'll pray for you, (laughs) fingers crossed. We mean it. But our love is so fickle. 
You know, here's God's love. It's like solid and constant. It goes right to the end. It perseveres right to the end. Our love is like, woo, all over the place. And if we're going to pursue a constant love, a covenant love, then let's pray that God would give us a constant love for one another, a love that perseveres with one another, a love that doesn't give up. A love that doesn't shrug our shoulders and say, oh, forget it, I've tried. But a love that keeps going and keeps going and keeps persevering. Maybe part of that is getting organized. Maybe part of that is having lists of people that you pray for. Start with your focus group. Or start with a small group. If you're not in a focus group, perhaps now is a great time to think about joining a focus group. This is exactly why we have small groups. So that you can be committed. It's tough to remember to pray for, I don't know, 160 people. That's quite difficult each morning. It's beyond most of us. But a smaller group of 10. People who you could pray for and take an interest in and persevere with. And don't get me wrong. Okay, I understand that as life goes on, you can't maintain every relationship that you ever have. Situations do change. Some people are brilliant at keeping up with old friends, and and some of us are less so. But there needs to be an intentionality that we don't just kind of carelessly drop that person, on we go to the next, and carelessly drop them. It's incredibly hurtful, and some people have been deeply hurt by that sort of an experience in church. Sort of just being dropped. Please might it be that God would enable us to love one another with a constancy and a reliability that your relationships within church might be the place where you feel secure. That you might be the sort of person who when someone comes to you, they know what they're going to get. They're going to find someone who will love them and listen to them and be loyal to them. That's what covenant love looks like. And Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you love one another. Covenant love. It's proactive, it's compassionate, it's righteous, and it's constant. We're going to see loads more about this in the coming weeks, but already my guess is that we can begin to feel something of that challenge.